like i've totally changed my view on that because i just don't find it useful to be on social media at all like you know in for anything that um, you want to do for anything that you're gaining from social media there are far far better ways to do those things Hey everybody, what's good? Welcome back to the Next Move podcast. And if this is your first time on the show, we're a podcast that shares the strategies, stories, and tools behind people who are making an impact in their field. And today I have Mihir Dalal with me, who's the author of The Big Billion Startup, which is a book that takes you into the behind the scenes of India's most successful startup, Flipkart. And it really makes you feel like you're there when i was reading it you it he takes you through the brilliance of the founders the intelligence but also the egos and the rivalries and all that comes with a fast growing startup and it's it's really an incredible read but today we're not going to go into the book per se but we're more going to go into the process of writing a book how do you write a book and what what goes into it for any aspiring authors what are some things that mihir wishes he could have done a little bit better what are some things that people can do to streamline their writing processes we're going to get into that and we're also going to get into since he was so close to the flipkart story and was such an insider in the story with the way he reported we're going to get into what has he learned about entrepreneurship from the experience from basically the most successful ever indian startup so before we do mihir i'm so happy to have you on how are you thanks thanks arman it's great to be here Amazing. So let, let's get straight into it. I want to ask you, what, what compelled you to write this book? Why did you choose to write this book on Flipkart? Um, for a variety of reasons. Um, so uh, I, um, I, I work for Mint, which is India's uh, second largest financial newspaper. So I had been, uh, I took up this book project around August of 2018. And um, for about four, four and a half years leading up uh, to that period, um, I had been writing on Flipkart and covering startups um, for Mint. Um, and uh, Flipkart was really at the center of my coverage um, because really it was India's um, too big to fail uh, startup. Um, so I'd been writing on the company and, um, uh, you know, the, the story was just so uh, fascinating and was so compelling that I really felt that uh, once the sale to Walmart had been uh, finalized, you know, it needed to be told in full. So I, I imagine when, uh, you know, Flipkart's acquisition got finalized, there's probably a lot of people that wanted to write this book. But from what I've read and researched, you seem to be the first and it's, it's so detailed. So can you talk about how you became the first person to write this book? And why did you choose to do it so fast? Yeah. Uh, so uh, uh, just to give you some context, you know, there was immense interest in Flipkart, um, not only in not only after the sale to Walmart, but even as early as 2015. Um, so I had first been approached uh, uh, by a publisher, by a leading publisher uh, for a book on startups in 2015. And at that time, I had pitched um, a book on Flipkart. But, uh, you know, for a variety of reasons, that conversation didn't go anywhere. Um, so even at that time, uh, there was so much interest in Flipkart. And you're right, uh, especially after the sale to Walmart. Um, you know, I mean, there were at least there were four people that I know of personally, who were uh, thinking of uh, doing a book on uh, on Flipkart. Uh, you know, because again, India has just never seen such a stunning success story uh, before, uh, in terms of the magnitude of the sale in terms of the speed at which the company was built, um, you know, the, the the impact that it had on the idea of entrepreneurship, everything, you know, so it is just such a compelling story. So it's, it's no surprise that um, so many people were interested uh, in a book on a book on Flipkart. Um, the reason I was able to get ahead is, uh, is I mean, there, there are two, three reasons. One is that, um, you know, I had been covering Flipkart regularly for four, four and a half years before I took up the book project. So that obviously played a big part in, you know, giving me the confidence that if I take up a book project, I would be able to uh, finish it and uh, do justice to it. Um, the other reason was that, um, you know, from, um, from, yeah, from say November, from December of 2018, I was working on the book full time. Um, so it took about a year to finish the book. So I, 
I started in August of 2018 and uh, the book was finally over in August of 2019. But from uh, December of 2018 to August of 2019, I was just working on the book full time. Um, so, you know, that that requires a leap of faith because, um, I mean, you know, most organizations will not be uh, very generous in terms of giving you uh, the time and the, the kind of space uh, to take uh, to do a book and especially when it's uh, you know when it's not just a few months it's almost a year um, so that was one uh, that was another big reason that I was able to just commit myself fully to the book and I think um, the third was that um, uh, you know it just moved very quickly uh, I mean in the sense that I was very quick to move uh, once the sale to Walmart was finalized sale was finalized in May of 2018 by August of 2018 uh, 18, which was three, four months later, I had decided that I am going to do the book. So yeah, so it's, it's, it's a combination of these reasons. Did you, did you feel any pressure in running the book? Because the, I want to go into your second point where you said you committed to it uh, early. You had been covering for Flipkart for about four years, like you said, so you knew a lot about the company, but it, it feels like an immense pressure to tell this story in particular, because it is so unique and there's so many stakeholders involved in at times you have to go into the tough parts of the story you have to go into the tough parts of the founders that probably they don't want people to know about but you got access to through interviews which we'll get into later so did you feel pressure one because you're writing such an incredible moment in Indian history and two because you left your job to do this for a year um yeah so uh, yeah certainly i did feel uh, pressure because um, like you said you know this is a fairly controversial book there are many things that I have written about that many people in the book you know would not like to have uh, come out in public so certainly there was pressure but um, you know this although this was pressure at a much much higher level and at a kind of uh, a far more intense uh, degree this is similar to the pressure that you face as a journalist when you're writing about controversial things. So I think that obviously prepared me. Um, uh, but yeah, certainly this was of a more intense degree and of a higher level. But, uh, you know, again, uh, it's just your uh, uh, job as a journalist prepares you to do this. Um, in terms of, uh, you know, having uh, left my job, so I didn't exactly leave my job. But what I had to do was because I had committed to the book full time, I did not want to spend more than a few hours every day on my regular job. So I actually moved to a new role at Mint. So yeah, that was a risk and the pressure was also there from that side. But once I got into the book, um, you know, it was just, I would say by December or by January of, by January of 2019, I was just really, really hooked because the material that I was gathering was just so compelling, was just so new and was just so interesting that, you know, I, I just did not think of anything else for the next six to nine months. Um, so yeah, so certainly the pressure was there, but I think the, the material was just so captivating that I did not uh, think of anything else uh, for the most part. Nice. And dude, when, when I think about writing a book, especially one like this, where it involves so much reporting, so much research, so much I mean, you have to write on top of doing your research late into the night or whatever it involves, you have to write it out and you have to write it out in a compelling way that's a story. So when you were looking at this behemoth of a task and you were saying, I have to get this done in one year, you know, what did you, how did you plan for that? Because it's such a huge task. And if you could get into, you know, also how you started to research to make sure you had the information for the book. Um, so in terms of how, uh, you know, how do you approach such a uh, massive task? I mean, you're right. It, it is extremely daunting, especially at the start, because you just cannot see how you're ever going to be able to finish the book, um, you know, at least for the first few weeks. So I just realized that it's just totally pointless to think about the end, um, you know, so I just went uh, after the first, I would say, first couple of months, I just did not think about the end. I just took it one day at a time. Um, and again, by, by December or so, uh, by December or Jan, I had a pretty good idea of um, how the book was shaping up. 
um so at that time um, it became uh, necessary to plan uh, the writing part because uh, from august to december i had only been reporting i had not done much writing um but once um, i had a fairly good idea of the material that i was gathering yeah it did become necessary to sit down and say that okay this is what i'm going to do so i set myself certain goals uh, but inevitably i would you know not meet those goals and that again was completely fine because i just felt that the material was just so interesting that it would make no sense to rush it in any way um so you know so once i started writing in december in late december early jan um i just set myself uh, daily word targets um and i did not fret too much um you know if i didn't meet them um so yeah so that's how i went about um you know thinking of the task um i think it helps if you just um you know i mean i know it sounds cliched but i think if you just focus on the first uh, like especially in the first phase of your writing or reporting i mean depending on what kind of book you're doing in the first phase if you just focus on the book on the material then i think it, at least in my experience things fall into place on their own because um you know inevitably you will have so many hiccups so many uh, problems so many obstacles so many doubts that it it will really like you will be dysfunctional if you try to hold yourself to you know a very inflexible timetable or if you just think too much about oh how am i going to finish the book etc etc so i would just say that you know yeah it it helped me a lot to just focus on the material and then you know worry about the timetable later i just told myself that that i'm going to worry about the timetable later forget about it now so so you didn't have an end date in mind when you started writing the book it was just completely open i did um, so when i started uh, working on the book the end date was uh, that i had in mind was sometime around so i started in august of 2018 i felt that i would be able to finish the book by say anywhere between march of 2019 or uh, between march and may of 2019 that didn't happen uh, uh, i ended up finishing my first draft only by june but again you know like i said um it just doesn't matter so much uh, because um uh, as as long as your book is really really good uh, as long as you are confident that you know you're presenting it in a very compelling way it just i mean a few months here and there makes no difference right and i want to get into a little bit of what you said earlier and i want to put a pin in it for now where you said you know i had these challenges and lots of things came up i want to get into the challenges later but for now i want to talk to you about you have to gather this immense amount of information you have to talk to a ton of people to get the information that you need how do you go about structuring that because you have a base level of knowledge and did you say okay i need to know more about this so i'll talk to this person or how did you get the information and through the interviews that you needed sure so um so for the first um say Four to six months. I did not worry about. Um, I did not worry too much about if I was gathering the relevant information or if I was gathering extra information, etc., etc. I just set myself. I mean, I had a very rough idea of what I wanted to do in mind in the first six months. So I just went out and did as much reporting as possible that was relevant to, like, that was vaguely relevant to what I had in mind. Um, then. i took stock about 6 months later 6 months into the book project 4 to 6 months into the book project and that is where um i started having a clearer outline of the book of how the narrative would shape up of how uh, you know how i should structure the book so after the first to 6 months is when i started uh, properly kind of you know planning uh, uh, not planning but properly structuring the information and the material that i had into like say chapters into like what would comprise each chapter etc etc so uh, for me it was that you know you just gather enough material so that you can then make sense of like the narrative of what you're writing about so if you have say three or four organizing ideas uh, about the book um then you you know 
will kind of be drawn towards those ideas but those ideas cannot be predetermined they have to be kind of you know either even if they are predetermined they have to be backed up by evidence by data by material etc etc i did not have too many pre um, uh, determined ideas about what i was going to write so i just went about reporting as much as possible in the first four to six months and then i sat down i made sense of what i had gathered till then and then i structured the book and after that when i um, you know was doing more interviews that is when i would say no more about what exactly i wanted to ask so yeah that is roughly the process you're you're saying that you didn't want to have any predetermined views because that would bias the way you write correct that would not just bias that would yeah that would not just bias the way i write but it would also not be fair uh, to the subject at hand because i mean while i was reporting on flipkart for four four and a half years um flipkart had started out in 2007 so between 2007 and 2014 i had very little idea about um, you know what had gone on so it would have been very stupid of me to say that oh i know everything and this is how i'm going to write so what i did instead was that i told myself that okay i think i know some things about the period from 2014 to 2018 which is when i had been reporting on flipkart but i have no idea about what came before which means that i cannot have my uh, views about that period colored by the period that i had been reporting on so i just decided to start from scratch and then i went in a linear manner that okay you know so rather than looking at 2007 to 2014 from in hindsight from say 2014 to 2018 i decided to go from the start i decided to start from 2007 and then see how things kind of progressed rather than you know starting from 2018 and saying that oh this happened so this must have happened before that right and that that's incredibly interesting it makes complete sense it's kind of taking away what you already know so that you can come at it with a fresh view and i want to ask you when it came to doing the interviews were there people who were like no i don't want to do this because it's i'm either uh, i have a relationship with the founders or i just don't want to tell the stories how did you kind of get around those challenges if they came up yep so they definitely did come up um, i mean several people that i reached out to um, uh, you know said they would either they said that they would not talk about certain things or they refused to talk outright um, and that honestly you know it's it is completely expected in fact what i was surprised by was that how many people were actually willing to talk because i think you know this was such a big event in you know the history of indian entrepreneurship and obviously everyone knew that so you know anyone who had played any role at flipkart you know was really really eager to talk about it and talk about their experience at the company so what actually surprised me was that you know so many people were willing to talk and they were so forthcoming about you know their experiences and you know obviously this kind of um, i mean one of the reasons that people open up also in 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 cases like these is that if they already know that you know your stuff and that you know you have spoken to so many people uh, before you you're speaking to them then you know they'd be they're far far more willing to talk rather than talking to someone completely new you know who's coming to them and asking very basic questions so all of this kind of helped me you know like speak to as many people as possible in such a short span of time and how did you filter out kind of i don't know how to say this lightly but how did you filter out the bs because there's probably so much there's so many hidden agendas within the book you already see that how did you make sure that you kind of put out the emotion and just took the facts um so that i mean there are various uh, you know steps in that process so first is that because again you know i had uh i already had such a wide network of people that i knew it would be very difficult to you know like give bullshit uh because you know it's very easy to verify facts right like i mean if you say that this has happened and i hear you out but then two days later i check with someone else and they say oh no no this is all crap and then i go back to the first person and say boss like you know what is this obviously you know i mean they're not going to do it 
because they know that you can easily verify uh, details and facts with others. So that is the first step that, you know, because I was already coming into conversations with, I mean, not obviously a lot of knowledge, but with a fair idea of what I was talking about and what I was asking about. So many people didn't bother to, you know, uh, give as much bullshit as you would think normally or as I expected. Um, the second thing was when it comes down to the writing part. You know, the writing part is when, A, you have to be very careful about, um, like, what you're including because, you know, you have to separate facts from opinions and you have to account for the biases of people who've given you certain information. Um, so when you're writing, you have to tell yourself that, A, um, there are facts, B, there are opinions, C, there are very, very biased opinions. So, I mean, you know, and basically biased opinions in the sense that someone is deliberately trying to give you a distorted picture. So these are three different things. Um, so the best way to address and to separate facts from everything else is that you like, so at Mint, you know, we used to follow this process where every important detail uh, that you're writing about should be directly confirmed to you by two direct sources. Uh, so p direct sources in the sense by people who were directly involved in that event. So I followed that rule even with the book. So every single important detail in most cases has been directly verified and independently verified by two people separately. So that really helped, um, you know, kind of uh, get as much accuracy as possible. And there were times, I mean, there were so many times, especially regarding the second half of the book where, uh, you know, I had to constantly uh, call uh, my sources, you know, and there were like, I would say there were at least five to 10 points, uh, important details, where I had to call my sources like more than five times on the same point, because it was just that, you know, A, these, these events were happening. I mean, I was reporting on these events in 2018 and early 2019, but these events uh, concerned matters that happened between 2014 and 18. So that's not really, you know, so, uh, so obviously memories can change and, you know, people's interpretations and their own versions can become distorted. So I had to go back and double check these, not just double check, but check many, many more times, you know, certain important details with several people. And I'm interested because unfortunately you didn't get to interview the founders. So I kind of have two follow-up questions there. Why didn't the founders want to be part of the story? Because I feel like if I was a founder, I would kind of want to be a part of what the narrative is, especially because it's my baby. And two, did you ever get stuck at a point in the book where you're like, I just don't have the information I need and only the founders would have that information. If that happened to you, how, how did you kind of get over that bit? Yeah, I mean, that did happen several times. Um, so, uh, you know, on your first question, uh, why did the founders not participate? I mean, um, so I was not really expecting them to take part in this book because, you know, both of them had extremely controversial exits uh, from the company. And, um, you know, just given how sensitive these exits were, my expectation was that they would not, uh, uh, you know, participate in this book. And even if they do, they would not participate in any kind of meaningful way. Um, and yeah, that totally came to pass. Like they did not participate at all. Um, so, um, yeah, so I think that was the main reason. And the other reason was also that, you know, I had been writing on Flipkart for four, four and a half years. and I'd written many controversial stories and, you know, they did not like those stories at all. Uh, I mean, many of those stories. So I didn't have a great relationship as such, um, you know, with uh, either of them. So again, so this was all known to me, right? So when I was, when I took up the book project, so I was not really expecting them to uh, participate in the book. Um, when, uh, on the occasions that I did get stuck, um, you know, that, that typically, I mean, it was both, especially in the early parts of the book and in the, uh, towards the end of the book, because um, in the early parts of the book, um, like say the phase before 2010, especially, um, you know, there were things that only like a certain very, very small number of people 
had access to i mean i'm talking about the information about that period because you know for the first year the found the flip the two flip card founders were pretty much by themselves i mean they had one or two employees but you know they were pretty much by themselves and um so obviously it was very difficult to um you know get precise information about that period but thankfully you know again i had access to at least two or three people who had known them and worked with them very closely in that time so and uh, you know even say even just that period before they started flipkart the one or two years before they started flipkart so i thankfully had access to two or three people who knew them in that time so yeah so that's how i was able to um kind of um you know get that information but it was very tricky and i mean it was yeah it was very painful to get a uh, precise information about that period and and as a journalist going back to the first question i asked about the founders how do you kind of manage that relationship between you have to put out this news article because it's the truth and it's it's your journalistic integrity and you have to do this and maintain a relation a positive relationship with the people that you're reporting on because there's also a little bit of a give and take where you want to have a great relationship with them as well to get the information you need and also to potentially you know help them out so how does that kind of dichotomy work so so the thing is uh, you know you're right that uh, you want like while you will do uh, stories that need to be done um, uh, you still want a relationship with the founders um, and you want a relationship with founders precisely because you know your stories will be more uh accurate will be more well rounded will be more uh, kind of um you know uh, comprehensive if you have access to the founders so that is actually the main reason that you would want access to the founders um i think you have to uh, accept that you will never have great relationships and in fact you should not even try to have great relationships with the people that you're writing on because um you know you don't want to get close um to the people that you're writing about because that just that will actually stop you from writing uh things in in an objective way and in a critical enough manner um so you don't want a great relationship what you want is that you want to be completely fair to them you want to make sure that you present their perspective and their views uh, and those views and those perspectives are very clearly brought out in the story so that is what you want and that is what actually you should really strive to do so at least that is how i approached it so even when i was writing um you know uh, very controversial stories i made sure that i was never um unfair i was never um, i i wouldn't say unfair because obviously fairness is dependent on someone's point of view but i would say that i certainly you know made uh every possible effort to reach out to them to ensure that you know they don't think that i am writing because i have something against them personally to make sure that they know that i am writing it because you know that is my job um so so yeah so that is what you have to do you have to try and be a, as fair as possible you have to try and uh, you know give them every possible chance to speak on things that you are writing about um that is what you can do really yeah i imagine that's that's a very tough part of the job when you first become a journalist because you don't want people to dislike you but it's just a part of the job and i guess that's something you have to get used to so i want to i want to get into another thing you have gathered so much information through interviews research whatever you've done and now how do you decide what goes in and what goes out yeah that's uh, that's pretty tough um especially uh, uh you know because uh, with a story like this you'll just have so much interesting material and you know you would have obviously worked your ass off to get that material that you know you would want to include everything but um i think again uh, you know i had uh, i mean my editor at my publisher was really really good and especially on you know this aspect where she was um, where she knew precisely um uh you know how to kind of uh, direct me to to like my own narrative as in you know um like if if say i had sent her the first 6 to 12 chapters she would read them and she would say okay these are the things that are not kind of fitting in uh, to your narrative so that is something that she did really well and um i think after that 
after that first uh, round of editing i think after that it was pretty straightforward because i knew like you know then the narrative was crystallized it was very clear to me that okay this is actually what i'm going to focus on so um, um yeah so that is how i approached it what is the relationship between the author and the publisher how how do they get involved in your writing process are they just an editor or or how does it work um so uh it it actually just totally depends on uh the the book in question so for instance uh, you know my book uh, like my editor my publisher it was a big bet for them financially so they made sure that you know they uh, devote their uh, all of their resources all of the possible resources that they have at their disposal uh, to make the book a success um but most books actually are not very important to publishers uh, because uh, you know especially the larger publishers end up uh, doing hundreds of books a year so it's only a small fraction of those books that get uh, the kind of uh, editing and marketing attention that is required uh, but thankfully my book was uh, one of those books where uh, which had uh, kind of gotten the both the editing and the marketing resources required so it's not just editing but it's also uh, in terms of marketing the book that uh, publishers uh, uh, help you with um, and obviously the sales side is completely taken care of by them um, but i would say that um, it is largely up to you both in terms of the writing aspect and the marketing aspect uh, to you know really push your book and uh, to bring out the book uh, in the best possible way okay and i i just had this question come up in my mind when you write a book how much of the book do you kind of own for example if it's like a startup is there a per- percentage of the book where the revenues come to you or 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 you pay the salary because they've invested in you to write the book how does that work um so so it usually works in the royalty uh, structure so uh, you know you get a certain percentage of uh, the book sales but um uh, for most books uh, publishers actually end up giving you an advance because you obviously need that money to you know sustain yourself for the time that you're working for the book and then um once uh, that amount uh, like so once a book is out that advance is set off against the royalties that would have come to you um, and once the publisher recovers the advance after that you start getting royalties got it and and now i i want to get into the writing process because this is probably the part that's toughest for all aspiring authors writers bloggers whatever it is and and my first question is cuz i've experienced this many times you've written down a whole page and then you reread it and you're like this is shit like this is absolutely awful and in in the entire day you just don't feel like you can put out anything good what do you do in those kind of situations um so uh i think it's helpful to have daily word targets um at least i found that to be helpful um like i said before you know you will ine- inevitably not end up meeting those targets but it's useful to have those targets um and uh, you know again you're right like most of the times when you read read something that you have written you will feel like it's absolute crap uh, you know in fact this happened to me till the the last day of the book till like the book actually went to press so i was editing you know even till the last day because it was just like oh my god you know this just this this looks so bad this looks so bad that looks so bad so you it's just a never ending process but i think at some point you have to realize that you know you have a book to finish so yeah you're not going to be able to write in the most perfect way that you want so what you do is you put down stuff uh, to the best of your ability and then uh, you just keep editing it again and ag- and again and again so after um, so i once i started writing the book um after the first two months what i used to do is i used to devote so i used to write for about um, anywhere between 4 to 8 hours every day and um, i would devote uh, you know a few hours every day to editing the previous day's work um and uh then uh, you know every like say 2 3 weeks i would devote like two days entirely to re-editing like 
stuff that I'd already edited. So, so this book, you know, I would have edited, I myself would have edited the book at least 10 to 15 times, between 10 and 15 times. Um, yeah, so it was just a very, very painful process. Um, but you have to do that if you want, if you care enough about, you know, like how your writing comes out, then you just have to do it. There's just no getting around it. But writing eight hours a day sounds, I know you said four as well, but eight hours a day sounds grueling, just sitting at a laptop and, you know, putting words down. What are some things that you found worked for you while you're writing? Did you take breaks every 30 minutes? Did you exercise? Did you stand up and write? How do you do that much writing in a single day? Um, so I think uh, first, it's, it's really, really important to find the right space uh, to write. Um, so I did not write um, in the room that I sleep in. I wrote in another room uh, because I just found that, um, you know, if I write in that same room, I'm just going to lose my mind because I don't want to be in that, you know, same damn place every single hour of the day. So I chose a place where, you know, which seemed fresh in my mind at least, uh, which was well lit. Uh, uh, so I found the right place. Um, secondly, yeah, certainly it helps a lot to take regular breaks. In fact, you have to do it because, you know, it's too difficult to just sit and write. So I used to take a break um, every 45 minutes uh, to an hour. Um, and um, yeah, and then, um, you know, at the end of the last two months, um, I used to uh, go to this um, uh, cafe as well, uh, which was thankfully very deserted. Um, so I used to write at home for uh, three, four hours, and then I would go to the cafe for a couple of hours and uh, then come back and do my writing if I had to. But yeah, um, so it's, it's a variety of these things. You just have to keep experimenting, really. Um, yeah, and another thing that I found to be particularly helpful was that, um, you know, you should, I mean, if, if you are a regular reader, you should not stop reading when you're writing. Like reading when you're writing actually is very, very helpful. Um, so I continue to read while I was writing. Um, and if you're not a reader, then you should really try reading while you're writing. That, that makes a lot of sense. I guess it can inspire you to write a certain way or write a certain thing in your book. And I want to ask, did you have any, I, I've heard other authors talk about this, but did you have any triggers? Like I heard another author talk about when she starts putting her espresso machine on to make her coffee. And as soon as she took that first sip, it was like she was ready to write. Something in her mind clicked. Did you have any triggers like that? Or was it just leaving your room and making sure you weren't there? No, I, I didn't have any such triggers because, um, you know, for me, because I was doing this full time, um, I was just completely into the book. So, I mean, I'd be thinking about it even when I wasn't writing. So, uh, you know, I'd start writing at say 10, 30, 11 in the morning. Um, and I'd end by five or six o'clock in the evening. Um, I would be thinking about it even after that. Um, so, you know, the last thing I would think of before sleeping is the book and about what I was writing. So just, you just have so many ideas and you just want to do so many things that, um, you know, it, it, it just would come automatically. Really. Right. And just a, a small question here, but did you write seven days a week or did you give yourself time off? Um, I did not write seven days a week on, uh, in all weeks, but yeah, there were some weeks when I wrote every day. Uh, but most weeks I would take at least one day off. And, and looking back, uh, looking back at this whole process, would you potentially have said you needed to take more time off or when you're looking back, were you saying like, it may have been better if I worked more? How did you get your creative juices flowing? Um, so I think uh, it would have, I mean, if I had to do it again, I would not, I mean, I would take a couple of months more. Um, I would have, instead of uh, working on the book full time from December of 2018, I would have worked on the book full time from August of 2018. Um, because I just felt that um, I had to just do so much extra work in such a short span of time 
between December and August um, that um, you know it it was unnecessarily uh, stressful uh, because while I was not writing, um, I'd say when I was writing, while I would take one day off um, on most weeks, um, I was still working on the book because I'd be doing reporting, I'd be doing research, um, I'd be doing something or the other. So pretty much from December to August, I did not take a single day off. And, um, you know, that, that was just extremely stressful. And I mean, like, I don't know if, uh, you know, if I could have done a better job if I did not have that much uh, stress and pressure. So I would certainly take a couple of months more and I would have worked full time from August of 2018 to August of 2019. Wow. Yeah, that, that sounds like an incredibly stressful period. And I want to ask, this This just came to my mind as well. Are you looking to write another book in the future? Did you enjoy the experience of writing a book? Um. Yeah, so I mean, I didn't, I'm, I'm definitely going to write more books. Um, I wouldn't say I really enjoyed the experience, but because, you know, it is just so, like you said, it's just so grueling. But I just found it to be addictive. I mean, you know, it's it's something that I felt that, I mean, this is what I want to do. So it's not, it's not just, I mean, because like, I wouldn't call it enjoyment because it's just such a, uh, you know, demanding and uh, stressful uh, activity. But I, it's, I, I just realized that, yeah, this is what I want to do in life. Um, yeah. So I definitely take up more book projects. And I'm just interested as well. Like, I can only imagine once you've put in more than a year of work, you've, you've dedicated everything to it. How did it feel when you held the first fully published book, uh, you know, of the big billion startup? How did, how did that feeling feel? Yeah. So, I mean, it, it felt great, obviously, but, uh, you know, I, I had, uh, I had seen, uh, so my publisher had, uh, obviously they got the first copies. So they sent me a, a picture of the books of the first copies and, yeah, so I mean, when I saw the pictures, you know, I was just like, wow, like, you know, this is how it looks. Because, um, I mean, while you see the, uh, obviously, you know, you see the, the digital uh, versions of uh, your book covers and all that, the seeing it uh, as a copy, you know, just has a different kind of impact altogether. So, so yeah, so it was really kind of incredible uh, to see it um, uh, as a physical thing. Uh, because, you know, then you know that, oh shit, this is for real, you know. That's, that's I, I bet, I bet. Like just going through all of that and then finally like, yes, it's done. Must have been such an amazing feeling. And I want to ask you one thing about entrepreneurship before we go into a few quick fire questions. After everything that you've learned from doing so much reporting through your journalism as well as through this book, would you want to be an entrepreneur? Um, no, um, because, um, you know, I'm not, um, I'm not really inclined to, uh, pursue either a corporate job or, uh, um, you know, a business, but I think if I was, um, I mean, say for instance, if I was not a journalist, then I would certainly want to, uh, try my hand at entrepreneurship. Because, um, you know, it just seems like such a captivating and demanding um, activity that um, it seems like, yeah, this is, this is worth your while. And, and I want to ask, is there any, it doesn't have to be one thing, or were there a few things that you took away from writing this book in terms of entrepreneurship that you learned from the experience, the good, the bad? What are a few things that you really took away from the such the bunsels uh, from writing this book. So uh, you know, uh, to start with, uh, you just can never tell uh, who is who is fit for entrepreneurship. Um, you know, that is something that you will only find out when you see someone do it or you do it yourself. Uh, because you know, there were so many people. Uh, in fact, I would say an overwhelming majority of people, you know, who thought that the Bunsels were just, would just never make it as entrepreneurs because you know, they were just considered such either weak or eccentric personalities and just, you know, very mediocre people. So, uh, 
and you know this is something that i've uh, seen with so many other people um, so i think in most cases you just do not know who is going to make a good entrepreneur versus who is not um so that is uh, one thing um another thing is that i think um people change dramatically through the various stages of entrepreneurship um especially the people who are successful so the way uh, you know say especially a sachin kind of grew into that whole um persona of being an entrepreneur was was really really fascinating because you know he was this very very uh, shy and um uh, kind of reserved person uh, which he of course continued to be till the end but it was just very interesting to see how even such a shy and reserved person could take such bold um really ambitious um uh, you know steps and have such a kind of a really larger than life vision um so um yeah so i think this is something that i notice as well that people change a lot through the different stages of being an entrepreneur um and i think um especially in india because uh, you know especially this whole idea of internet entrepreneurship is so new i think many entrepreneurs like it brings out the worst in them as people um you know because a entrepreneurship is anyway such a lonely uh, thing but in india that is exacerbated by the fact that at least till the last 2 years there wasn't much of a support ecosystem around entrepreneurs um so you know the people who were uh successful in the last say from the in the period between 2007 and 2018 you know they were i mean yeah they did it pretty much um they had to kind of put up with the pressures and uh the burdens of entrepreneurship uh, pretty much by themselves so it really tends to bring out the worst in uh many entrepreneurs as people that, that was uh, the the second point on such it was actually my biggest takeaway from the book he's such a shy guy but he was always he had the most insane visions he's kind of steve jobs esque in that way he's like we need to reach a billion in sales and you know he always had huge numbers which is it's really and he really pushed for them and that was that was yeah. kind of one of the big things i took away from the book absolutely so so you know a, a related point was that um uh, what you said was absolutely the strength was such in strength that you know he could to use that cliche phrase he could see the future um but you know one of the things that i learned um is that so a lot of entrepreneurs to a lesser degree than sachin are able to see the future um and that is certainly a very important ingredient of of being an of being a successful entrepreneur but i think um what was um what really differentiated sachin from a lot of other people was that in the early years of flipkart not only was he able to see the future but he was also able to see in many cases the specific things that would make that future happen whereas i think in the later years you know he just was so um kind of sure that the future would happen that he lost track of those very very small but crucial things that are required to make that future happen um so so you know i would say that um yeah like having a vision and all that is very important but you also need to know like you know what are those like important things that will make that future happen and i i agree with you and it, it felt like ego when i was reading the book towards the end like there were a few things where he wanted to think so far ahead like when he wanted to go to an app only e-commerce store it felt like yeah that's you are predicting the future but your ego is pushing you to keep going at it even after it's not been successful so i guess also managing that ego and kind of realizing where your ego can take you astray maybe may another you know that that's something that i took away from the book you're right you're right so yeah so the ego uh aspect is probably the biggest aspect of this um uh but i think it's also 
an intellectual failure because um, you know there is this thing that um, a lot of entrepreneurs in his place have where they just you know they have this belief in technological determinism which is that you know like no matter what like the future is going to happen so you know technology is going to take over the world and uh, you know in the retail business in this example uh, you know yeah like e-commerce is going to be the way of the future but um while that is true it is not going to happen by itself it is going to be driven by things that you do and things that your rivals do which you just cannot predict right so what you need to understand is that yeah like the future is going to happen but like you may not be part of that future so it is only if you do the right things if it's only if you do like a combination of right things that you know you can make the future happen and be a big part of it i i feel like we could do another whole hour about funding entrepreneurship all that kind of stuff and hopefully we do in the future but i want to go into a few quick fire questions how often do you use social media um i i use social media as little as possible um uh, i mean i have to use linkedin uh, regularly because of work but um i don't use facebook um i have a facebook account but, but i don't use facebook uh, i have to use twitter sometimes uh, but i try and avoid spending more than 5 10 minutes a week on twitter um unfortunately you know to promote my book i had to use social media frequently but i try and avoid social media as much as possible why is that um i just find it a complete waste of time uh, because uh, it's it's actually not even a waste of time it's 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 a very detrimental um it has a very detrimental impact on um you know a your attention span um b i think it just gives you um a very shallow and distorted picture of whatever it is that you're reading about um so earlier i used to think that you know these things are like these things are problematic but what you gain from social media outweighs the the kind of cons but i don't i don't agree like i've totally changed my view on that because i just don't find it useful to be on social media at all like you know in for anything that um, you want to do for anything that you're gaining from social media there are far far better ways to do those things here i'm i'm so uh, thankful that you came on the show i really appreciate it same here it was great to be here it was awesome and everybody thank you so much for listening to this podcast if you have any questions make sure to put them in the comment section below i'll forward them over to meher and if he has the time we'll get back to you on those so thanks again for for watching this podcast see you guys in the next one